0: It is good to be here with you this morning. And as we were, as we were preparing to, to dig in, if you want to find Matthew chapter 7, verses 1, we're going to start off with that pretty much right away. So go ahead and find that and, and stand if we prepare to read the scripture. I realized, we were back there, and I realized a little bit earlier this week too that uh, Pastor Mark's gone, and Pastor Tanya, and Mindy, and my wife. I can say a lot we can have we can have some fun together this morning wait we are recording oh all right well I'll try to do better then all right well let's uh prepare to read scripture this morning Matthew chapter 7 verses 1. do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I want to pause for just a second. When I was looking this up and kind of digging through the idea of plank, it's a good word. It's not a bad word, uh, describing what they're trying to say, but it almost, it always uses another word like timber or beam. And and you can see the the hyperbole there between just a speck versus like a four by six sticking out of someone's eye. I don't remember which um, video series it was about Jesus and the disciples, but there's one where Jesus is like making almost a joke about like the idea of having a plank, a beam of wood sticking out of your eye. But it's important to see that imagery of something so huge that it's ludicrous. Verse four, how can you say to your brother... Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye you hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye do not give dogs what is sacred do not throw your pearls to pigs if you do they may trample them under your feet under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces this is the word of God to the people of God, and we've been taught to say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. In that prayer focus that was mentioned, we are, we're looking towards reinvigorating and finding new ways that we can reach the valley, love the valley. Uh, we've talked about the ways in which we can connect uh, closer together in our small groups, in, in our home groups, and our classes, and, and ways in which we can love each other and grow together well, ways in which we can serve the community, finding ways to fill the needs of the people in our community, and to bring and welcome in new people, new families. And so that is a, a focus as we look towards fulfilling and finding that calling. I hope that this message takes that, that bent for you. There's a lot of... It's easy to take a lot of sermons as just don't do this, don't do that. Uh, and there will be elements of that in this message. But I hope on a deeper level, we hear an encouragement to, as we prepare for reinvigorating these, these focuses, these ministries, that it encourages us to prepare, sort of till the ground as needed to prepare for that idea of what we've, I've heard termed messy church. As we reach people and pull people in, as we grow closer together, there can be that messy aspect because it's relational. And it's important for us to ask the question. As we dreamed, as we dream about different ways, we've had some, some great things this last weekend, even. We had a great connect time where we were able to gather together and get to know each other. It was a great time together. We were able to have a men's uh, coffee and donuts and be able to uh, talk and catch up. And uh, as we encounter those things, we get closer and closer towards uh, fulfilling what God's calling us to do. We have to ask that question. We have to prepare for what does success look like? Are we ready to succeed? Be careful what you wish for in some ways, right? As we desire to have people come in, as we desire to go out and serve the needs of our community, what does success look like? And are we ready as a group, as individuals for that? And so in that vein, that heart, this passage um, spoke to me and I hope that it it guides you as well as we look at what does it mean to to not judge? That question, uh, do not judge. The the definition of judging has has lots of different connotations and we're going to have to just separate out a little bit of that if we want to understand what what Jesus is really saying here. These are Jesus' words, and so they take on extra special importance. But some of the definition of judge is condemn, punish, sentence, damn, discern, and weigh. And we're gonna focus on those those first ones. We're gonna leave discernment and and weighing for later. But for now, for this part, we're gonna talk about condemning, punishing, sentencing, damning it means that as Jesus is telling us this that we shouldn't judge the value of any person or their eternal destination judging the value of a person denigrates the image of God in that person Uh, I have found that it is not a good move to devalue someone's a parent's child that is dangerous ground to walk on right Uh, You parents know, like, even if your kid is no saint and they have their flaws, even if the person's rebuke is correct, that puts you on, that gets your adrenaline going, right? That mama bear, papa bear comes out. In the same way, everybody is, in a way, God's child. They might not be living that role well, but they are God's child. And for us to not see them as such, to devalue them as other that can incur God's wrath. That's important to God, that we, we don't do that, that we see people as God sees us. And part of that might be an apple and a seeds problem. You've heard the term, uh, one bad apple ruins a batch, or you, you, have a rot, you have a bucket of apples, you take the one rotten apple out so it doesn't spread to the other apple. So we view that idea of a rotten apple and, and we rightly judge that there's something wrong with that apple and we remove it We throw it out, and that's not stupid. It's wise in a way to recognize the flaw there, to recognize that there's something not whole, perfect in that apple, but God sees something beyond that. See, God doesn't just see the state of that one apple. He sees the future, the potential of that apple because unless I'm mistaken, pretty much every apple has seeds. And in that, we, God could see the parts of the, the apple that are still good, maybe edible. I know when I was a kid, we just cut around it and eat it. Um, you know, we didn't destroy an apple. we just cut it and eat it. We had an orchard, and so you were hungry. You just got something from the tree, and it was great. Uh, but beyond that, God sees the potential in a person in ways that we don't. So even though we may look at people that—and maybe, maybe that's a good thing for us to do this morning— For in your mind, in your hearts, to yourself, think of that one person or that one group of people that's easy for you to judge, common for you to judge. Get somebody in mind. Get a group in mind. We go back to that apple and seeds. We look at that person and in our hearts we... We look at them as less than. We look at them and, and the flaws that they have, and those might be real and true. But God sees something different in that person. Not only does he see the relationship that he wants to have, that he's supposed to have with that person as a, his child, but he also sees the potential for them to grow, to produce. If I take a really good, what's the best species of apple? What's the best species of apple? I don't know. I'm asking, like pink lady, Honeycrisp. Okay? I don't, okay, you pick your, the best apple. That best apple is a prime specimen. You take that and you put it in a plastic bag and you tie it up and you throw it away. All right, or maybe eat a little bit and then you throw it away. That apple's done. Even though it was a great apple, a great specimen, it's done. You take an apple that is less than, it's a little rotten, it's a little nasty, maybe it even has a worm in it. Take that. But you take those seeds and you plant it and you get a tree and it propagates, it bears fruit. That's maybe some of the imagery that Jesus used throughout the Gospels is the idea of bearing fruit. So it's easy for us sometimes to look at the ways in which we're crisp and fresh and all the things that are awesome about us individually. And we forget that we can squander that. We can not open ourselves up to God the gardener, to plant us, to, to propagate, to bear fruit. We can just take our life, live it, and then be gone and not bear fruit. In the same way, God can take somebody who's open, willing to be propagated, to bear fruit and, and do so much more good than that one apple can ever do. And so changing our mindset is important when we think about how we treat other people, how we judge. And of course, I don't think this is a, shouldn't be a hard point to make. But judging the internal destination of a person, that is blasphemy. Not a word we use very often, but it is saying in a way, in a sense, I am God. I get to decide that person's going to hell. I get to decide what that is. I get to see the future of that person because I'm God-like. That is like the principal sin of, of Lucifer, right? That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And that's why Jesus is specifically condemning that and saying, you're not God, and you don't get to do that. People may falsely assume that maybe we get comfortable judging others because we assume that we're going to be judged on the area that we judge others on. That uh, if we judge somebody for stealing, I don't steal. So we judge people based on our own strengths, and it becomes one of those things in which we assume that that's the standard that Jesus is talking about, that we can Like pick on people based on look down on people based on how they're not as good as we are. And that's maybe the the false sense of security that we have. But when we refuse grace and forgiveness, extending that to other people these actions have sort of an automatic ironic and self inflicting consequence. Because we're not going to be judged on like we judge someone for stealing or whatever it might be. That's not That's not going to be in turn placed on us. Like, well, you don't steal, so you're fine. It's going to be that we were not participating in grace and forgiveness. There are other things that will condemn us. Other individual actions, but not beyond that. Not specific sin per se, but condemned by our general lacking of of humility and grace. And looking down on that person, not only do we ignore specific faults that we do have, sin in our own lives... But we think that we don't really need salvation the same way they do. And that's what sort of self-condemning in us. And I hear from a lot of people who've, who've left the church or refused to come to the church accuse us of being judgmental or judgy. And you know, some of it is projection. All right, let's be honest. Some of it is projection. Some of it is people come and they feel the conviction uh, that, that exists just by nature of the place, the place this building or being a part of a a fellowship of Christians, people can feel sometimes their own conviction of the Holy Spirit and they misunderstand that as judgment from the faith community. And so that does happen. They project and lash out when we feel that. But some of us are judgmental. It said that it takes many years to build a reputation, but just a few moments to destroy it in the same way it takes many people to build the reputation of a church body but just a few people to destroy that. We are all sort of in the same boat that when people think of Spokane Valley Church of the Nazarene or when they think of Christianity, they think of everybody associated with that. And so in in a very real way, whatever you do affects me and whatever I do affects you. If they know that the youth pastor at the church is kind of a jerk and you go, hey, I'm from that church, you suffer because of what I've done. In the same way, if I go out in the community and, and somebody's been hurt by us, I can feel that back. I get that, I can get that, that, um, that feedback, that return. We are, we are a collective group, for better or worse, for better we are judged by each other's actions. But we have to be careful to protect that. So moving on, what is not meant by do not judge? The idea of discerning and weighing. Obviously, in lots of scripture, there's many, many passages that we are called to judge for yourself what is true, what is righteous, what is good. Uh, Find truth. Hear it out. Seek it out. So with that, there's, there's clearly discernment. There's lots of places that talk about accountability, of calling out sin, rooting out sinfulness in people, specifically list out things in case there's any ambiguity. There's plenty of, just read all Paul stuff, okay? There's lots of things that point out things that, that we need to recognize. So discernment and, and the wane, it doesn't mean that if we ignore sinfulness in others, that if we're... Weak or tolerant of sin that will benefit from that. Like when I say it that way, it sounds pretty stupid. That if we just say like, oh, if I just let go and ignore someone else's sin, then I'll be judged by that same rule. And that's, that's not the case. Because that's not practicing holiness. That's practicing ignorance, wallowing in it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't stand out against Sinfulness or systemic evil—we are still called to those things, and accountability is an integral part of following Christ. So all those things are still true, and I—I I, I shape under when I have people who aren't particularly involved in Scripture. Or they want to take it a certain direction. When you start to have accountability present in some structure, they say, don't judge me. Like, I'm—we not called to judge you, but if we see something that's wrong, we can call out actions. We can call those things out. As a church body, if we choose, if we claim to follow Christ, there is going to be that presence thereof, that's not holy, that's not good, to be able to point those things out. And we're going to get into confession in a little bit longer, but the remedy for the idea of not judging, how we walk that line between those two concepts, where is the balance there between, between wallowing in it and ignoring it and trying not to do anything to offend anybody and not recognizing sin? versus being judgmental and condemning people. Where is that line? And it really starts internally. It has to start with you. It has to start with me internally, individually, taking a step. And maybe a lot of you are already there. Maybe for some of you, you you're already practicing this, and so that's, that's good. But it's confession. It's confession. You read in that passage there, it goes through, and it's, it's look to your own eye. Pull that plank out first, and then you can look to the speck of your fellow Christian. In Bonhoeffer's Life Together, is a great book. It got a lot of uh, a great things in it. If you, uh, after you read the Advent devotional, and you're looking for another one, and you don't have one, Life Together, is a, is a I guess it's a classic now, but uh, you can read through that. It's, it's got a lot of great things to say. Let me read you a little passage here. It says on page 110, if you want to look it up sometime, the final breakthrough to fellowship does not often occur because although they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner, so everybody must conceal their sin from themselves and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain there alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. I love that term hypocrisy. We're going get into a little bit more. But it's, when you hear hypocrisy, you tend to think of like saying one thing and doing another. I like to think of it as pretending. Pretending, acting. And, and there's some, some backup for that definition. But We remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy because we're pretending. How much easier removing specks and planks can be if instead of going around telling other people how wrong they are, we're engaged in wise and holy conversation with others to focus on confessing our own areas of struggle, our own areas of sin. We are called to seek out conviction from the Holy Spirit and accountability from other Christians. And then we're in a place... When we do that first, then we're in a place where we can rightly look into someone else's life as we're invited to do so and reciprocate and say, hey, here's some places where you need to look at. Here's some trouble. Here's some danger to you. Here's some sin in your life. Because we're in a position where we're participating in confession, in holiness, in that process. And confession is, is fairly straightforward. I think a lot of times we tend to like, complicate certain disciplines and we get so mired into ways in which it should work and disagreements over it. And, and I think that confession is, is fairly straightforward. I think we confuse things maybe in, on purpose in some ways to delay actually acting. And in a lot of ways with confession, we, we just need to take those first steps to act. But I see confession as those first steps, finding one trustworthy and spiritually mature person or small group to start to peel back the armor. In our culture, there is a lot of armor and guardedness that we don't like accountability. We don't like discipline. And I think that's true for most generations, most people on earth. We don't like to be called out on things. But in our culture and the way we practice Christianity, there is a lot of that present. And that is toxic. It's ignoring the things that are going wrong in our own lives because of pride and because of fear. What's going to happen if we are unguarded? What happens when we're vulnerable? And that fear isn't entirely unfounded. So there's a reason why I'm not telling you let's just stand up right now one by one and tell me your deepest darkest darkest sin right now. Let's go pass the mic around. Right? I'm not going to do that because there are ways in which we're not ready for that. Maybe in a perfect world, we could do that. And if it was perfect, we wouldn't have to confess, but just thinking about that. But yeah, in some ways, we're not ready for that level of vulnerability. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't participate in it at all. We should find ways in which we can be vulnerable to those who've earned trust, who've, who we're in a place where we can reciprocate that, people who have a maturity to do well in that role. So. So seek that out, find that. And that's gonna take humility because vulnerability does challenge us. And Bonhoeffer kind of goes on, on Luke chapter 9, verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest, right? That passage, I love that passage because I can see that happening. We talked about that in the past here, but I can see that happening them fighting over it. Which would be the greatest? It's a race to the top, but it's really a race to the bottom. We talk about that all the time. Serving Christ means being below Christ, humbling ourselves below Christ. Who is greater than the master? Washing feet, right? Getting down below, getting on the bottom and serving. Bonhoeffer continues on, It is a struggle of the natural person for self-justification. We find in only comparing ourselves to others and in condemning and judging others. Self-justification and judging others go together as justification by grace and serving others go together. So in that way, he's saying like the, the judgment that we have, in order to lift ourselves up and prop ourselves up, it, it's necessary to condemn and judge others. And doing that, we, we find that justification, that feeling good about ourselves. And it is easy to compare ourselves to other people. And the reason why is, if, if there's, imagine there's an imaginary person named Bob. And Bob is just, he's just a better Christian than I am, okay? Bob right here, he just, there's just he's just better at being a Christian, following Christ than I am. But Steve, huh, I'm better than Steve. Certainly, on these areas, this area, that area. And so the reason why comparing ourselves is so broken is we will always find somebody that we can feel better about ourselves, Right? That'll make us feel better. There's always somebody who's making more mistakes or his life isn't as together as ours. And so in comparing ourselves to other people, it's cheating. We get to pick that. But what happens when we compare ourselves to God? And that's what Bonhoeffer is saying. What happens when we compare ourselves to God? It is necessarily humbling to us. It, it puts us in a proper place of perspective not necessarily of, of just wallowing in shame, but in true perspective of where we really stand. That yes, we have strengths, we have um, definite abilities that God has blessed us with and things that we do very much well. So it's not about being in a state of depression by any stretch. But it is a place of humility and recognizing who we are relative to, to who God is. And it separates us from that unhealthy habit of looking at others just to lift ourselves up it's humility like i said before hypocrisy isn't standing uh it's pretending it isn't standing against or calling out sin right we're called to do that we can't be the body of christ and not recognize sinfulness and and unrighteousness we should see those things we should see the ways in which the world is broken there are people who are oppressed there are people who aren't treated well there are there's systemic problems with our world there are things that we do in in church that need to be fixed The things that we do in our individual lives that need to be recognized and rooted out. And so hypocrisy isn't standing against or calling out sin while also being a sinner. Otherwise, nothing would get said, ever. Rather, it is when we are only pretending to be a part of the process of holiness while avoiding it for ourselves. So the hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about isn't just that you have something in your eye. It's that you're not even taking care to remove those things from your eye it's that whole neglecting the whole process that Jesus is calling out and you know I I I don't think it's really saying this but I kind of imagine like that plank of wood that huge like collection of, of wood that's in that person's eye it could be one thing I'm probably going too deep into it but what if it's like a collection of build up over time that sin building up because of neglect? sort of an infection. They just keep getting worse and worse and bigger and bigger because of neglect. Whereas that speck is easy to take out, relatively speaking, if you have the right method to do it, take that speck out. But we build that up over time. It gets harder and harder and ruins our witness and becomes an impediment to our ability to live the life of Christ, calls us to live. Now, the last part is probably the most difficult. As we get to that passage in in verse 6, it is challenging, and I, I had to do maybe as much work on that last verse as I did on, on the rest of it. And I, at first reading, it might be forgivable to, to see that it might be saying it's like not sharing the gospel with others that won't be in a place to receive it. And I've heard some, some people talk about that, looking things up and opinions on it and perspectives and, and saying you should be able to figure out who's going to receive the gospel and who isn't and then just not bother with those people and, and I don't think of saying that because how are we supposed to, we are supposed to share it with everyone. Matthew 28 calls us to that, the Great Commission, not too much after this passage. How would we know who will receive it? So it, I don't think that's probably a good way to think about it. It could also be a directive specifically to disciples to, to focus on sharing the gospel with the Jews first before going out to the Gentiles, before the Holy Spirit has made them ready. Uh, and that could be true, but again, I think Matthew 28 and some of the other ways that, that Jesus calls the disciples to go leads me to a different interpretation. That in light of the context, it's the pearls are not necessarily the gospel, but they're wise corrections and specific areas of holiness, of pointing those things out. It's the specks and, and the planks. And in this, in this interpretation, and the wording is hard, right? It's important for us to recognize that. The wording is intentionally making a point Jesus is using these words because they would people would perk up uh, the people who are listening would hear dogs pigs and it would get their attention and in this case the dogs are those who violently reject godliness I had two thoughts on this one is it's possibly people who were violently godless but also possibly religious zealots and linguists, Pharisees of the day because they reject, they are not ready for specific corrections of behavior, no matter how accurate, wise, or healing. Because they're not in a place where they accept and live the love of Christ. So if we look at this message and how it applies to us. We look at ways in which, yeah, there are people out there that are violently anti-God. Violently anti-Christian, anti-Jesus. And yeah, they're not there to receive some of the finer points. But there's also people in the church that are violently anti-God because they're anti-love, that the love of Christ is not really in them and so they're also not in a place where they're really able to receive the finer points of correction, of of removing specks because there's something fundamentally broken in their relationship with Christ. The pigs are those who slothfully ignore godliness, possibly the, uh, the intentionally worldly and spiritually lazy. And this could be in and outside the church as well. They are not ready for specific corrections of behavior no matter how accurate, wise, and healing because they are not accepting of the truth of Christ. We look at that and we go, we see that there is an intentional engagement that we're called to participate in the love that Christ gives us and in holiness and in correction. And it is a cart before the horse sort of problem. Seems foolish to expect people to engage with holiness before they embrace a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. With people mired in this state, we're called first to, to reach out to them, to, to, to connect with them, to love them, and then invite them into a saving relationship with Christ. So I've heard the terms believe, behave, belong, or belong, behave, believe, or whatever combination, but this passage is saying that in some ways it's difficult to call someone to a standard of behavior without some other foundation to build on. And that's... This passage may be, that verse 6 may be hard to understand because of the wording, but it's priorities. It's cart before the horse, right? Horse before the cart. Switching those things up. So closing, I'm going to call the worship team up to, to play, but this passage, closing, we look at to prepare our own hearts and minds for the task before us. We look at what does it mean to succeed in reaching our community? There are people that are broken, and they may look the part they may look like they got it together they may look broken as they come into our community as we accept them as we reach them as we build relationships with them are we ready for that are we ready to see past the facade past the the, what they present us with and see how god sees them are we prepared to, as we grow closer together, as we connect and, and hopefully we, we have accountability, hopefully you have people that you can speak to honestly and love and share time with and break bread with on a close level. But like any family, the closer we get, there can be conflict. There can be struggles. It's a lot different going to lunch with somebody after church and going camping with them for a month. Things happen. We get close. So we get closer Are we ready for that? Are we ready to be authentic with each other, to share with each other, to help each other, to look beyond those faults and, and again, not judge, condemn people, but also call each other to righteousness? Embracing a humble, confessional, and accountable life, embracing each other and those people that God brings us to with unreserved open arms. Let's prepare for that.